And it's important, Nikisha, to get our narrative out there, especially at this point in time when they are working overtime to not tell our story. It's more than that, though, because it's a whitewashing. It's a complete, total whitewashing. And Nikisha, that is why we write. What's good? I'm Nikisha Elise Williams, and this is Black and Published, bringing you the journeys of writers, poets, playwrights, and storytellers of all kinds. This week's guests are Chicago-area sisters, Cheryl Jackson and Laris Wallace, authors of the poetry anthologies Different Sides of the Same Coin and Mirrored Images. The two came to their writing after falling in love with reading. Laris explains how Black authors opened the floodgates for their love of literature. So Cheryl came home one day and she had disappearing acts in her hand. And she said, Laris, I read this book. She said, you got to read this book, girl. This is a really good book. Terry McMillan. And she put it in my hand and I read that book. And I was like, oh my God, this could be me. Influenced by authors from the Harlem Renaissance and the Black Arts Movement to contemporary titans like Terry McMillan, Laris and Cheryl made sure they owned their narrative. The pushback they faced from publishers that forced them to go indie. Why they wanted to tie history to their own personal stories in their poems. And the classic novels by Toni Morrison and Terry McMillan that they think are overrated. When Black and Published continues. When did you know that you were a writer? I'd say in my early 20s, because that's when I started um, writing poems. But my sister and I, when we were little kids, Nikisha, we wanted to always write a book together. So we always, that was always a dream of ours. We just didn't know it would be a poetry book, two of them. And Lyris, what about you? When did you know that you were a writer? Um, I knew that I wanted to be a writer when I was in college, but I didn't know that I could write until I was like in my thirties. Why do you think it took you so long to come to that realization that this was something that you could do? Um, well, I was, I would always write. Uh, my sister, she didn't realize, she didn't know that I was doing that, but I was writing like uh, screenplays and short stories and stuff. And then uh, when I would go back and read the stories, you know, I would write them and then I would put them away and then I would come back to them and read them. Cause when you're writing, you always think, oh, this is the best stuff I ever wrote. And then when you go back and read it, it's like, oh my God, this is trash. And that's, that that kept happening to me. So I was like, maybe this is not, you know, for me. But I kept doing it anyway. And and I never, every time I would go back, it just wouldn't, it, it, it wouldn't sound right. It wouldn't be right. And um, even though I kept writing, it just kept, it was always in my mind, well, maybe this is not for me. But uh, when I started writing poetry and I would put it away and go back to it, I was like, ooh, this still sounds pretty good, you know. And as a matter of fact, it sounded better than I thought it did. And so, so I kept writing. And that's when I realized, I was like, well, you know, maybe I'm not so bad. 
What about you, Sherelle? And Nikisha, I, like I said, I had an audience of one and, and, and like close friends because I was very public about, about writing. But um, I would say that the college years were very pivotal because that's the first time, Nikisha, that we were able to kind of be loose and on our own and, and, and reading books that for the first time of our lives were about young black women. And we were able to see ourselves in those books that we were reading. And so the floodgates were open because we discovered African-American literature. And that was a whole different ball game. And to this very day, we are still so very much influenced by and in love with African-American literature. College was a big, big influence for me because in college I was able to, that's when I really discovered black literature. You know, in high school, they make you take literature courses and you read all of this stuff. You read, you know, Jane Austen and Charles Dickens and all this stuff. And you're like, okay, but what does that have to, you know, to do with me? And then you're reading this in a whole different kind of language, you know, old English. But I, I'll never forget, because everything that happened to my sister, she would share it with me. So Cheryl came home one day and she had disappearing X in her hand. And she said, Laris, I read this book. She said, you got to read this book, girl. This is a really good book. Terry McMillan. I said, well, who is that? She said, girl, you got to read this book. And she put it in my hand and I read that book. And I was like, oh my God. This is the first book I ever read about young black women going through things that I could relate to that, I, that you know, I was like, this could happen to me. This could be me. And that's what changed the game. And when I got into college, I start, you know, I did not like to read, Nikisha. I just, I, that, that was one thing that I did not like to read. And, uh, but I wanted to be a writer. So I said, now, you know, if you want to write, you have to read. So I just took all these different literature courses. And I'm telling you, it was like, the, like my sister said, the floodgates just opened. And that's when I was introduced to Zora Neale Hurston, Wallace Thurman, and, you know, Nikki Giovanni and all these wonderful Black writers. And I was just taken away. And I, that's when I just knew I had to be a part of this culture. I just knew I had to be a part of it because it was, it was just so wonderful and so rich. And, you know, and for the first time I saw myself and that, and that was, that was the, that was the turning point for me. So you guys have influences ranging from the Harlem Renaissance through the black arts movement to everyone's like contemporary influence, who is Terry McMillan. With those influences and helping you kind of see yourself reflected in literature, what then did you want to reflect back to your audience in your poetry books? Language is a big deal for us. Toni Morrison was another one. She, like Sonia Sanchez and Nikki Giovanni, they were language Smiths. They were wordsmiths. They knew how to take Black dialect 
and contemporize that in such a way that it not only made writing cool, but it put writing in the present because it took the dialect and the vernacular that the polite, genteel people like to categorize that type of, of speech. And it put it right in books. And it was no longer these uneducated street punks and thugs. It was just cool. Mm. And it was very diverse. And it, it just opened up language in a way that made it, in my opinion, more relatable. And so that's what we have done in both of our books. We are not rigid and staunch with this King's English, you know. We, we, we want to show the beauty of um, our culture um, to yes. other people. There's a beauty in the way that we speak. That was one thing that fascinated me early uh, when I was in college and I was reading books like Burr Rabbit. Okay. Um, a lot of people are like, I don't understand that book. That book is really weird, you know, the language, but it's a beauty to that language because it shows how we were brought to a place that we were completely unfamiliar with. We weren't even uh, respected enough to be taught the language. So we had to learn it based on what we were hearing. So that's where our language comes from today. It is based on our ancestors, what they learned. And that, that's a beauty in that. that. There's a beauty and a strength in that. And the whole thing about us writing is to tell people, you know, our people and other people that our culture is beautiful. Hmm. We are strong. We are determined. We are a people who have overcome many obstacles and we are still overcoming many obstacles. And it's what is sad is some of them are still the same obstacles our ancestors were trying to overcome, but we are still here. We are still fighting and we are giving a voice to those that cannot speak for themselves. And this is the platform that we choose through, through point poetry and through our culture. So then in choosing the platform of poetry and choosing to write in what is commonly known as African-American vernacular English, you know, how has it been putting out your work and showing the validity of your stories and of your poems written in this way and, and doing language in this way? Well, it's twofold. People either love it mm -hmm. or frankly, they don't understand mm -hmm. it because we've had both. We've had people ask us, why are you writing this? Because my sister has a lot of beautiful poems written in dialect, black dialect. And um, it, 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 first of all, we found it very comforting. We love the language. We love the rhythm because black people speak in a very rhythmic pattern. And it's, there's a beauty in that. And then you put on top of that, the different regions where we were, um, which lots of our people, you know, were, were Southern based. So you put that on there and you just, the, the rhythm and the flow of Black language and Black dialect 
it's something that should be celebrated and not ashamed of, I, I personally feel. But th- to answer your question, Nikisha, we do it because like Laura's just communicated, we really, really are comforted uh, with that because that's what we know. That is who we are. That's what we are familiar with. And until you see it written, you know, in most cases, you're really teaching people a whole other side of African culture that they may not have ever known. Like my sister said, that you don't ever hear anyone talking about the fact that no one took Black people, sat them down with books, and taught them the vowels and enunciation and pronunciation and how to read and how to write. And we had to teach ourselves those Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And then that's the same thing that we're later on made fun of and made to feel ashamed about. And so when we write, we're saying, no, 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 we are taking back. We are, we are not allowing anybody to stereotype us and place us in a certain box. We're saying, no, we are black women. We are of an African-American heritage and culture. And this is what we love. And this is what we write about. But to more accurately answer your question, I would say that, you know, we ran into some, uh, problems with it, you know, like uh, with editors, um, they wanted to correct it, you know, and say, uh, well, this would be better used, you know, this would be a better word, or, you know, or they just took it upon themselves to edit it or put punctuation where we didn't want punctuation. And some of the words that we use, um, you know, like the N word, they took offense to that. Uh, when we ran to certain publishers, they didn't feel comfortable writing that word, you know, uh, publishing that word. And my sister always says, and I, I totally agree, it, if we are comfortable writing it, who have been called the N-word practically, you know, all our lives, then you should be comfortable in printing it. So, you know, that's why we had to kind of self-publish because They wanted to change things and take out certain words to take out certain way that we said things. And, you know, I was like, if you take that out, it changes the whole meaning of the poem. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, my sister and I did self-publishing because, you know, we did not feel comfortable with how they were trying to rewrite what we were saying because they felt uncomfortable. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because as I was looking through the collection, and you guys have two collections, different sides of the same coin and mirrored images, you have those two collections. Um, and they're lengthy for poetry collections. Mm-hmm. So lot, lots and lots of poems in them. Before we talk about the self-publishing specifically, over how many years were these poems amassed? Because I feel like some were dating back to like the 90s. Well, they, they're over about 20 years, right, Cheryl? Because yes. uh, my poems in particular, um, Nikisha, I started writing because at that particular time in my life, I felt like I was on a treadmill and I was running to catch up with, with my life and I felt like I couldn't do it. So I was like, um, I need to understand why these things are happening and I need to understand myself. 
So um, the reason why those poems are dated and timed is because they're actual journal entries from that period of my life. Cheryl, any, anything on that? It does date back 20 years, but there was sort of a reason for that. My dad was sick. Our father was sick and he was uh, diagnosed with uh, stage four prostate cancer. And he really had a desire to see all of our writings in one place. And that was me um, just as, as his daughter kind of trying to fulfill like one of the last uh, requests of the, of made of me in his lifetime. And I thought, well, my sister's a beautiful writer. What I'm going to do is, you know, God was gave me this idea to just kind of take the writings back so that people could have in real time a timestamp in place. And I firmly believe, Nikisha, good writing isn't dated. Mm. We can read something that Wallace Sermon and Nikki Giovanni wrote 40 years ago, and that writing still stands the test of time. And that was the whole point of different sides of the same coin. I wanted people to understand that language is relevant 50, 40 years later. It's still relevant. So I, I was just showing in my way that it all comes back around, you know, and that and that and that good writing, you can't put a, a date or a time stamp on that. So then in amassing this collection of poems from over 20 years, journal entries, life experiences inspired by your father's desire to see your work in one place. Laris mentioned earlier, you know, that editors were trying to change your words or the way that you wrote with the African American vernacular English into mm -hmm. a more standard English. So then taking that information after going, trying to go through traditional publishing routes, what was that journey like that made you decide that self-publishing was for you? For me, Nikita, and I'm just, you know, no holds barred here. When you have a 20-year-old sitting in the front of you that isn't from your background, knows nothing about your life, judging you based on whatever standards and criteria that someone in the back office is telling her, it has to be said this way. If they can eliminate this N word and not use this narrative. I mean, you know, if you take one word, the N word out of our narrative, it's no longer our narrative. And so it is imperative. And that's the one thing I just why I love my sister, Laura's. Laura's taught me to stand strong and fight for what is important. And that is the big central takeaway. Sometimes we're intimidated by people in suits in back offices, you know, and, and, and sometimes we will bend to the will of, of what they are requesting for us to do. But you have to stand strong in what you believe and and trust your instincts and trust in your story, in your narrative, right. the way you right. want to tell it. You can't allow someone else to define for you 
what that story is. And so that's what both of our books have have born. You know, they are very indicative of who we are as real people in real time. But it's more than that. It's bigger than that. It's ancestry. This is, Nikisha, the thing is, we are still fighting the same fights that poor Mr. James Baldwin was fighting in the publishing industry 60 years ago. And I think that is extremely ridiculous. It is extremely racist. It is extremely just closed. The industry is so closed. So if you want to tell your narrative and you want to tell your story and keep it intact with a certain modicum of integrity for you to be able to withstand it, then you have to self-publish it. I just, you know, that's that's my personal opinion. And that is because we're the age that we are. You know, that was a no starter for us. I mean, you, you want us to take out this word and take out that word because you're not comfortable hearing it and printing it. But we've had to withstand a lifetime of being called those words. Mm. So, I mean, you know, if we use if we use that by definition, then Mark Twain would have never written a book because he wrote in dialect and no one ever questioned one time why he was writing. But it's different because I'm a black woman writing in dialect. It's somehow less. It's it, and it's important, Nikisha, to to get our 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 narrative out there especially at this point in time when they are working overtime to not tell our story. They're trying to get, you know, black history out of schools. You know, they want to paint themselves as the heroes. And, and, you know, when they tell your story, they have to have the white hero come in instead of telling it like it actually happened. That's why it's important for us to tell our narrative. This is what happened. This is our experience. It is important for us to do that. It's more than that, though, because it's a whitewashing. It's a complete, total whitewashing of African-American history. And Nikisha, that is why we write. That is why we tell the stories. Because if we don't tell them, we can't entrust that anybody is going to tell them in real language and in real time our stories the way we can tell them. So then in telling your story in your own way and not submitting or tolerating the potential whitewashing of your narratives with your poetry, how did you find yourself publishing journey? Like, what was it like? Walk me through the process. Well, it was, I made it initially look easy, but it, it, it was a lot of learning and I had to do a lot in a short amount of time because I had to get this out. And I wanted to get it in my dad's hands. And and, and you kind of look back at stuff after you do it and you're like, wow, I, I can't believe that God really let let you know let me do that. Because I was learning Nikisha like stuff every day. I'd be up. Uh, you know, it was hard, but it was very rewarding. You know, if anything isn't difficult, I don't think you appreciate it as much. Hmm. Amen. So it was challenging, but it was possible. It was possible. All right. So if we can get you guys to read a little from like maybe Cheryl, you read a poem and Laris, you read a poem and then we'll kind of discuss some more about the book. Black and published family. It's time for the reading. 
Cheryl and Lars's poetry collections, Different Sides of the Same Coin, and Merit Images discuss topics including relationships, frayed familial dynamics, racism, and more. In their works, they revisit the writings of the Harlem Renaissance and pair it with today's social unrest to create works that speak to lived experiences, past, present, and future. Here's Cheryl and Lars. I'll read A Voice to the Voiceless. Have all the truths been told? Have all the words of the struggle been written? Martin has been to the mountaintop. Langston told us what happens when a dream is deferred. Have all the relevant words been written? Ralph made us see the invisible man. The phenomenal Maya told us why the caged bird sings. As we ego tripped with Nikki, our eyes were watching God with Zora. We took James by the hand to go tell it on the mountain. What could I possibly add to a story that has already been told? From Moses to Malachi to Matthew and the revelation of John, our story has already been recorded. What more important words can I write than those that give eternal life? I am a sponge soaking up the knowledge which has already been put on paper. I am a student learning from the masters, and I am blessed to pick up a pen and continue the traditions of our great and prolific ancestors. For as long as we live and struggle for what should be ours, we must give a voice to the voiceless. Thank you. You're welcome. Cheryl. I'm gonna read Bloody Battered Needs. Black folks show been asked to overcome a lot. Slavery, emancipation, segregation, a harsh crack of massive's brittle whip, the dehumanizing stain and stench of founding fathers' cruel North Atlantic slave ships, subjugation, emasculation, castration, Jim Crow, hoods and sheets, police beatings, replaced with unarmed civilian shootings, Black folks placed in jail, many found swinging within cold prison cells, poverty, disparity, white supremacy, separate and unequal, Black lives not worth a damn, 200 and 74 years of unsung independence. How much more can Black folks be asked to quietly withstand? We marched, we sang, despite all our suffering and pain. The trees are bearer now. Black folks no longer swinging from blood-stained trees. Just plain old exhausted from watching my people Black folks living life down on bloody and battered knees. So in listening to your reading and in reading some of the poems myself, what I notice is that you have a lot of personal stories, but then you also have a lot of historical stories. So then was it your intention to tie the history of Black people in this country to your own personal stories to show the continuum of the thread? 
Well, it is. I mean, let me let me give you give it to you uh, this way. Laris and I, we had parents that grew up in the Jim Crow South. Mm -hmm. And for our audience that may not understand what Jim Crow South means, that was white only drinking fountains, black only drinking fountains, white restaurants, black Mm -hmm. restaurants. And so my father being a Southern boy from the country found whatever means he could and he went to school and was educated and and finally got himself a master's degree raising a family with a wife but he didn't have a father to show him how to parent okay so when you don't have a father, when his, his father was drowned, when he was a baby, before not even born. born yet, right, before he was born, his father was gone from, from his life, from his household. He didn't have a dad. So now he's a man and he's got little girls that he's trying to raise. A son, you know, and he had three daughters and a son. He's got all this anger that he's carrying around because he's not feeling like his life is value and is worth a damn. He's trying to find a means of taking care of his family. He has a degree as an engineer. He's an architectural engineer. And white people are telling him, you don't, your people don't do this kind of work. Where do you think he's going to take that anger that he's feeling? Back at home. He's going to bring he's going to bring that anger in the house. He's going to bring that anger to his wife. He's going to bring the anger to his children. And so we tell the stories of that kind of stuff because people now like to change it every cycle. They put new words on it, generational curses. Hell, it's the same curse that we've always had. It is poverty and it is not understanding and a lack of education within our own community that helped to exacerbate these problems. And so, Nikisha, that's why, because it's hand, it, it, the history is hand in glove with everything else. If you dismiss the history, then you don't understand why it is, what your purpose is, and why things are happening to you with the way that they are happening. And so that's why we write so much about the personal stories, because we want our readers to understand who we are, but we don't separate the history, because it is very much who the, we are. The, the thing is, we are Black women. We are older Black women. We write from our experience. Most writers write from their experience. So um, that's why it's a lot of that in there because we are writing from what we have experienced, especially in um, mirrored images. We are writing from the standpoint of being uh, quarantined in um, COVID and you turn on your TV and what are you seeing? You're seeing George Floyd on the ground with this man smirking in the camera with his knee on his neck. We are seeing that in real time. So you sitting in, in your house looking at this thing, you're sitting there watching Jacob Blake 
being shot in the back seven times while this police officer holds his shirt. And Jacob Blake's children are in the back seat of his car. We are seeing, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey jogging down the street and being shot to death. And we're seeing this on our TV on a daily basis. So we write about it. It's in our book. This is what we, we're, we're seeing. We're seeing our, 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 our brothers, our sons, our daughters, Brianna Taylor, being shot down in her bed, you know, in her own house. So we write about it. These are our, these are what we are seeing happening to our people, the people that we love. We're seeing this. So this is what we're writing about. So then in having that long arc of history, speaking to the personal in this intentionality of owning your own narrative, when people come to your books, different sides of the same coin and mirrored images, what do you want them to take away from it as a reader? We, we want them to embrace and feel good about legacy, family, culture, language, history. That's right. That is- I mean, you know, I, I laugh because my sister, I, I get to see the best of both of my parents in her. And she my mother's demureness and just her, she was such a, a, a gentle soul. She's a firecracker, but like my dad was, but she's also, I see my mother and her every day, the strengths of my mother. My mother was very strong. It takes a lot to raise a son, a black son by yourself. Ooh, um, and so I want Black people to really feel like when they, when they experience our books. They see themselves. That they, they see themselves and that this is familiar to them. And that this is a place, our books are a place of comfort and joy for them. Where they can just come home and they can just let it all go and say, you know what? I'm feeling this. Mm-hmm. She is speaking to me in my language and I am feeling this. That's what we want. That's the takeaway. That's what we want people to get from our books. That's awesome. I want to move to the speed round and uh, do a little game with you before I let you guys go. Okay. So what is your favorite book? Anyone can answer. Uh, Mansfield Park, Jane Austen. I read it every year. My favorite book is going to be Their Eyes Were Watching God. Mm. Good one. Okay. Who is your favorite author? hands down James Baldwin for me I have to say James Baldwin Nikki Giovanni (laughs) okay so then this might be the same but who was your favorite poet Nikki Giovanni I'm gonna answer right off the off off the bat because when um I heard ego tripping it changed my life I just loved it so I have to say Nikki Giovanni all right Cheryl your favorite poet Sonia Sanders I knew she was gonna say that (laughs) <laughs> Sonia Sanchez. I figured it was going to come back up. So, <laughs> for obvious reasons, Sonia Sanchez, yes. All right. What's the difference between poetry and spoken word? Ooh, okay. First we of asked all, that question ourselves. Right. But, 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 I, and we love spoken word. Oh, we love it because it is poetry. And, and the only thing is that we don't 
perform right. our, our 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 work. But they, 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 all of us, and we have a lot of friends who are spoken word mm-hmm. artists, and they they want to work with us because they're like, you guys are ridiculous. You know, you need to really get up there and perform. And so we're just kind of like old right. and stubborn and rigid. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel like spoken well, word. That that's for young people. You know how they move and you know they they perform. That they are the, the the piece that they. I mean, they literally become the piece that right. they perform. We old broads. Right. We don't want to get up there and you know do all the you know, the, the, the hands. Speak for yourself, child. You know, Speak like, for yourself. Read child. the poems like Amaya Alshon. We we don't want to get up there and do all of that. But uh, it's it's beautiful when it's done, and I love to hear it. <laughs> that's the best answer to this question that i've gotten in a long time <laughs> oh gosh uh what is your favorite sound black people laughing enjoying themselves Ooh. that that is my favorite sound whether it's children or or just us laughing because when we when when we laugh we expressing ourselves that means that you know through all of whatever we're dealing with in this moment we are having a good time oh wow that's a great answer Uh, you know what i love to hear whether it's my sister or whether it was my mother or whether it was my father i love to hear black people singing Hmm. there's something about the music you feel it from the soul of the person thing. And that's very powerful. And that's the thing, you know, uh, words, whether they're spoken or whether they're written, they have so much power in them. And once you release them into the universe, my God, it's cleansing, it's healing, there's healing in words. And so that's why I really love to hear like people sing, you know? So does that mean, Laris, you can sing? I can carry a tune, Nikita. I can't sing. I can carry a tune. I used to sing better when I was younger. <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, my next question for the speed round is, what is your favorite song? I've gone totally back to my mom. I guess I've been thinking about her a lot lately. I don't know. Um, when you lose one parent, it's like you are just drowned in memories. And so I've been listening a lot to Sounds of Blackness. Anything by Sounds of Blackness. Particularly, I've been listening a lot to Black Butterfly. So that's like my favorite song right now because that's where I'm I'm at in my life right now. And this is um, Anything by Stevie Wonder. I love Stevie Wonder. Uh, I've always loved Stevie Wonder has gotten me through so many things. <laughs> but uh, Anything by Stevie Wonder. But right now, I'd say my favorite Stevie Wonder song right now this moment will be Reggae Woman. Boogie on Reggae Woman, yes. yes. All right, so I have a little game for you. It's called Rewriting the Classics. Okay. What's one book you wish you would have written for each of you? Oh, please. Oh, Persuasion man. by Jane Austen. I do it all with a Black cast, a uh, 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 Black narrative. Like I said, when I learned about Black history and Black literature, it made me go back and appreciate Jane Austen then I could relate to it. I, I actually understood it once I got into my own writers. Then I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I get this now. So uh, she's one of my favorites and I have her whole collection. And I love that that that's, that 
story that she told, but I would I would love to have written that myself. All right, Cheryl. Invisible Man oh. by Rock I'd like to bring that up to now because my God, the issues and the stuff that he was talking about then, it is so applicable to our time, which is 2021 is changing. But I would love to just kind of modernize that and bring that up to this to this day. Uh, name one book where you want to change the ending and then how would you change it? <clears throat> okay, for me, I'm going to I'm going to go back because this is old, but the color purple. Hmm. I love Alice Walker, but some of her stuff sometimes it, it, it can be really, really dark. Like Tony. And, and and to me, to me, the villainization of, of black mm. men and in, 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 in some of that. And I'm not saying that she didn't stay true to it because we live some of that. But I just kind of would like to just because there's not just one. Oh, you dirty dog. You know, and then that's the kind of the end of it, because our father was a very dark person. But there was some good in him, too. Mm. So as tortured as he was. Um, you know, and he was very tortured and very mm. flawed. But for me to just put that out there and then not put the good, to me, that's doing him a disservice. And so, you know, I, I guess I'm basing that on our relationship. I guess that's probably what's impacting that. But I do know that when you have the bad, there's, there's got to be something of light in it too. Mm-hmm. Lars, one book where you would like to change the ending and how would you do it? Uh, I I, I know I'm going here a lot today, but um, I would say Mansfield Park by Jane Austen because I feel like she she took us on this ride and then she just summed it up at the end. It's like she she was like, okay, I'm tired of writing, so I'm just going to sum it up. You know, they live happily ever after. And I I was so disappointed in that because I felt like she should have told us when he did you know, he decided that this was the woman he had to have. I felt like they she 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 really painted a picture for us and took us through a waltz. We went back and forth and we swayed and then suddenly she just ended. All right. My last question for rewriting the classes is name a book that you think is overrated and why? Ooh. <laughs> um, this is for me. Beloved by Toni Morrison. I love Toni Morrison. I, I really do. But Nikisha, that book was so doggone comp- complicated to read and understand. It was <laughs> the bluest eye to me was better because I understood that book. I understood it. I could read it. It wasn't a hard read. But beloved, oh my God. You know, I didn't I read that book in college. Then I tried to go back and read it. And then my son had to read the book. And it was only after he read the book and he explained it to me that I understood the book. That's how hard Beloved was for me. I I, I just thought that was, book was just too darn complicated. I, did, I, I, I didn't like that book. Wow. I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback on that. So I didn't read Beloved until this summer. I was like, it's the only Toni Morrison novel I've never read and that right. I don't own. I have every other one of her novels. That's the only one I've never read and didn't own. So I bought Beloved. And it took me pretty much the entire summer to read that book. I got it. I understood it. But it's not an easy read. It's not an easy read at all. 
Sure. I, I, I got to go back here because I got, it's full circle. This is so funny. I love Terry McNoughton so much. But how Stella got her groove back just left me flat. And I hated it. I hated the movie. I hated the book. I just, that's the one Terry McMillan book that I just, I didn't like. Oh, y'all didn't say Tony Morrison and Terry <laughs> McMillan classics were overrated. Mm, I don't want to see y'all DMs after this episode. Okay. Comes out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know it's a messy question, but I didn't expect y'all to be that messy. Woo. <laughs> All right. So my last question for our interview today is when you are dead and gone and among the ancestors, what would you like someone to write about the work and words that you've left behind? That they just resonated with with it because it, it just was so much a part of their DNA. Right. It was a reflection of them. Right. Right. That's what we want our legacy to be. Thank you, ladies. This was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for having us Black and Public. Big thank you to Cheryl Jackson and Lyris Wallace for being here today on Black and Published. Make sure you check out their poetry books, Different Sides of the Same Coin, and Married Images. And if you're not following them, follow them on the socials. They're at Sisters Rock and Rhyme on Instagram and Twitter. And rock is R-O-C, the letter N, and then the word rhyme. That's our show for the week. If you like this episode and want more Black and Published, head to our Instagram page. It's at Black and Published, and that's B-L-K and Published. There, I've posted a bonus clip from my interview with Cheryl and Laris about the messages they learned from their father that they're now passing down to their children and their people through their poetry. Make sure you check it out and let me know what you think in the comments. I'll holla at y'all next week when our guest will be Brian Broom, author of the memoir, Punch Me Up to the Gods. Until next time, peace. Peace.